1: Well, many of the reports I've been seeing is that the coronavirus infections are falling in the United States. I I see a lot of different reports. They're falling around 25, 30 percent in the past couple, two, three weeks. Uh, Hopeful uh, that uh, the worst of Delta is uh, moving behind us. And now, of course, I have, you know, uh, questions like, okay, what's coming up next? Uh, And I say that not to be a smart guy, but there just doesn't seem to be a reprieve from this thing, I have to tell you. And then, of course, in the last few days, you see Anthony Fauci uh, get hammered for his comments about Christmas. Well, I got to tell you, he would be called the original Grinch, wouldn't he? Wow. Never seen anything like that. It's like they're waiting and just savoring the next problem. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to get on here one day and just report good news. Bye. I look forward to that day with you, friends. I will tell you that. Uh, welcome in here to the voice of a nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud. And joining me on the program for this Q&A is Dr. Peter McCullough is here. And I got to tell you, uh, Dr. McCullough, these are, by far, far the most successful programming uh, that we've had because of the outcry and the need for people. And my heart goes out to people every single hour of every day that people are reaching to the network for answers. Uh, and, um, and people celebrate the work you're doing, uh, Dr. McCullough, and that you have committed your life to all over the world, really. So um, anyways, uh, I want to mention that. And it, and what do you make of the comment I make right up front, uh, Dr. McCullough, about uh, the Delta variant and the, the um, infections uh, dropping like this?
2: This series of news events has given us so many twists and turns, Malcolm. It's extraordinary. So we are coming down the backside of the Delta outbreak Uh, There's been a huge surge of early treatment that's reduced the uh, spread of infection, reduced hospitalizations and deaths as as the vaccines have failed. And now we have this breaking news as uh, the director of the National Allergy and Immunology Institute is pounded on the hill from questions from senators, including Rand Paul, now the director of the National Institutes of Health. CNN reports as of last night, Francis Collins, the director the direct supervisor of Anthony Fauci is resigning.
1: Resigning. Wow. That is, uh, it, it, when will it, is this real? This...
2: It, CNN just broke the news around midnight. It hit the wires. And I can tell you in every single uh, debacle, whether it's a debacle of a, of a military excursion or a public health response or of a major um, economic response, in every major debacle, there's always departures. So we saw um, a senior FDA official on vaccines, Dr. Gruber, who signed the letter for the conditional approval of Comirnaty, the BioNTech vaccine, resigned seven days after she signed the letter. Now as Fauci gets um, pummeled uh, on the hill for pandemic response, Uh, and all of his involvement in a variety of activities. Now Francis Collins resigns. This is uh, something that we always see when things are going wrong.
1: Well, you know, they always say, and we learned as a young boy here that uh, what goes around comes around in this world. So uh, we'll we'll leave that right there. Let's jump into these questions. We have a lot to get to, uh, Dr. McCullough here. Start with Marie here. This is interesting. She's talking about something we haven't talked about, the long haul She said, um, could you please discuss treatment for uh, long-haul symptoms such as nausea, dizziness, et cetera? Should patients take ivermectin again, Uh, steroids? Uh, Thanks so much. What do we say?
2: There's no randomized trials or therapeutic studies yet of long-haul syndrome, but I want to make a couple points. Uh, Dr. Bruce Patterson just presented at the COVID-19 Rome Summit in September, that in people who have had COVID-19, the respiratory infection, the spike protein from the virus is found in white blood cells, monocytes, 15 months later after the infection. So the body spends a lot of time clearing out the remnants of the infection in the body, and that's biologically plausible with long hauler syndrome, which has a variety of uh, neurologic and constitutional symptoms. I would point... Uh, the listener to the frontline critical care consortium, flccc.net, and they do have a long haul uh, protocol called iRecover, the iRecover protocol. If you put this in your uh, browser, you'll find it. Now, it does list a variety of potential treatments, none of which are tested in clinical trials. It's been my experience that for the neurologic and psychiatric manifestations that the use of fluvoxamine, fluvoxamine, uh, which has been tested in two randomized trials of acute COVID treatment, that that plays a role for chronic inflammation, a prolonged course of prednisone, a common steroid, for those with um, blood clotting issues, the use of full dose aspirin and oral blood thinners play a role. And that long haul syndrome uh, has a very long course and that we have to stick with these medications over time. I would say, additionally, if there's any uh, heart or lung manifestations, we use colchicine, which has been shown in a prolonged uh, trial called Colcorona, 30 days in acute COVID-19, that that uh, has a salutary effect. And some are, as the listener pointed out, are using ivermectin. Although in my role, my view, ivermectin plays a much more of an acute role. Some have tried ivermectin because of its anti-spike protein properties to be used in long haul syndrome.
1: Okay, Um, Tyler uh, says, I've not heard the following two questions addressed anywhere and would love it if you could answer them. So here's the first one for Tyler. Is there a way to try to get exposed to the original strain now? Since it confers natural immunity to even the new, more virulent Delta strain, I think there is much more risk to getting exposed to the new strains.
2: I agree with the latter half of that comment that I have found the Delta variant actually much more difficult to treat than the original variants. Unfortunately, the original Wuhan wild type uh, virus is now extinct. And fundamentally, in the United States, the Alpha variant, which is the British variant, and the Beta variant, which is the South African variant, are fundamentally extinct. Because the Delta variant thrives in the vaccinated, it's become dominant variant. There's no way to go back and get that exposure. Now, the vaccines do code for the original Wuhan spike protein. So, in a sense, you get exposure to it if you take a vaccine, but the vaccines don't cover Delta. That's the problem.
1: Is there anything else that you see on the radar, Dr. McCulloch, coming after this Delta that we should be concerned with?
2: Until the vaccines change, I don't because Delta is thriving. Uh, So much among the vaccinated, we've heard about the Lambda variant coming out of Peru. Now, Lambda came out of mass vaccination with the uh, Coronavac vaccine. Uh, Lambda is heavily mutated, but it's not really taking hold in the United States. We heard of ADA coming out of California in response to U.S. vaccination program, but that hasn't taken hold. And then the Mu variant. The one uh, update I have the listeners want to know about, which I think is concerning, is called the R1 variant. And the R1 variant was described in a nursing home outbreak in Kentucky, and you can find this on the internet. Watch out! I hope this this was does not take off. It appeared to be almost instantly lethal among our seniors who are fully vaccinated. So we're really worried because now we have 60% of Americans vaccinated. Whatever variant takes off is going to be targeting the vaccinated.
1: Wow, remarkable! Second part of that a question from uh, Tyler: Once a, a vaccinated person gets sick with COVID, do they have the full, regular, natural immunity or would it be compromised in any way?
2: My understanding is they do develop full natural immunity afterwards. It's not compromised by the prior vaccination. And it is my clinical experience that COVID-19 is easier to treat in those vaccinated. They still need early treatment if they're at high risk. The CDC data, however, disagrees with that. The CDC is consistently reporting vaccine breakthrough failure cases where the vaccine fails and the patients develop COVID-19, where the uh, hospitalization mortality rates 20%. And that's really worrisome.
1: All right. Uh, Here's one from Tara. Uh, Thank you for all the education. I look forward to listening to you weekly. What test will be used to determine if COVID positive in 2022? I've read the CDC is retiring the PCR test. At the end of the year, hopefully it is something that doesn't give large numbers of false positives like the existing one. Do you know of this?
2: The CDC methodology will be retired, meaning departments of community health will no longer use the CDC methodology. The commercial laboratories have advanced on Quest, LabCorp, Abbott, Roche. Um, orthoclinical diagnostics. They use their own forms of of PCR. Hopefully, the methodologies are not too similar. What we want to get away from is misdiagnosing influenza as COVID-19. That was the problem. Last year, we were told there were virtually no influenza cases. In fact, there were. They were just misdiagnosed with the methodology from the CDC PCR. They were misdiagnosed as COVID-19 and invariably mistreated as if they had COVID-19 when they didn't.
1: All right, one from Leona here. I just went to the website, speakwithanmd.com and their message was that they are currently not scheduling any new patients. Are you affiliated with any other doctor networks where I could set up a phone consult for early COVID treatment?
2: I provide consultation to Dr. Ben Marble of myfreedoctor.com. And Ben has taken the liberty of taking the protocol that I had published uh, in 2020, it's now copyrighted as the McCullough Protocol, and uh, I would refer the listener to myfreedoctor.com. Now it's a free service, and uh, one can give a donation if they feel, uh, ch- uh, you know, in charitable in their heart to do so. But that's the leading service right now in the United States.
1: Okay, and uh, from Diana, my husband and I had COVID and I was given the monoclonal antibody treatment. My doctor arranged it, even though I am a healthy uh, 66-year-old. I have since tested negative for antibodies with both serum and T-cell testing. I'm now in a panic as this treatment may have damaged my immune system. Is there anything I can do to build back my immune system to normal or am I compromised for life?
2: I don't think the immune system is compromised. Uh, we do have situations where there's a false positive PCR, a monoclonal antibody is given. And no harm, no foul here. I think this listener is fine. Uh, they may want to give it some distance in time and then revisit the testing, particularly the antibody testing. But I think it's uh, likely that uh, this listener never really had COVID-19 And it was a false positive PCR and is operated upon due to monoclonal antibodies. Just healthy diet, nutrients and supplements, and this listener will be fine.
1: Okay. Roberto says, I'm a regular listener to the McCullough Report and a big fan of the Q&A sessions, which I think bring a lot of light on the COVID-19 issues. I live in the UK. And I wanted to ask Dr. McCullough if he is aware of the EU strategy on COVID-19, uh, are hoping to get four monoclonal antibodies and one immunosuppressant authorized for use from October this year. What are your thoughts on them? We know that you already rate the Regeneron monoclonal very high.
2: I rate all the monoclonal antibodies high. They are innovative. Now, they uh, uh work to neutralize the virus that's that's in plasma or in blood. It can't deal with the virus that's already inside the cells. Or it can't deal with the virus that's in the, the nose and the mouth, but it does work to neutralize large quantities of the virus. They work inpatient and outpatient. And One of the hopeful things with the EU, with the broad array of products is to have ones that can be applied outpatient, either an intravenous infusion or more recently actually getting a subcutaneous injection and then going home. And then when patients are admitted, the thing I want to see happen is have them get monoclonal antibodies on day one in the hospital. What's happened in the United States is when they get admitted to the hospital, the monoclonal antibodies are now not given, and then they're given remdesivir, which in my view is a far inferior therapy to the monoclonal antibodies.
1: Yeah. That's, that's good advice for folks on the remdesivir. Um, All right. Let's talk about some meds. Uh, This one's from Brenda. Uh, Dr. McCullough, you've been so helpful. Thank you so much for all you've been doing. My question is, do you have an opinion on which is better to take for COVID ivermectin or HCQ? Also, if you were to take one as a prophylactic, do you have a preference? Can they be taken together?
2: Let's address safety very quickly. This is an important question. HCQ hydroxychloroquine, its safety concerns are cardiac QT prolongation in patients on other drugs that prolong the QT. So this is an EKG heart arrhythmia concern that the doctor should be aware of. And then in African-Americans, the concern is G6PD deficiency. That's an enzymatic deficiency that can relate to uh, bleeding uh, that can occur internally. So doctors quickly have to check, (coughs) excuse me, for any Uh, history of cardiac prolonged QT and G6PD, if not HCQ is safe. And then on ivermectin, the safety issue is neurologic problems, including epilepsy or seizures. So I always stay away from epilepsy or seizures or even patients with neuropathy, which can transiently uh, worsen with ivermectin. Now, in terms of efficacy, those drugs are similar. Hydroxychloroquine has far more evidence than ivermectin does. Uh, Hydroxychloroquine, uh, has the advantage of being able to be given in a standard dose over a prolonged period of time. So I've treated seniors as an example for 30 continuous days of hydroxychloroquine, just as I would with uh, somebody who has rheumatoid arthritis or lupus. Hydroxychloroquine has the advantage of being able to treat pregnant women. I got a, a advice question yesterday from a doctor about you know a, a very sick pregnant woman. What can we do at home? Hydroxychloroquine, perfectly safe in pregnancy. has been studied in pregnancy. Um, With ivermectin, ivermectin has the diversity of working well outpatient, but as well as inpatient. Uh, The dose is weight adjusted with ivermectin, and then the duration is variable. We've used ivermectin every other day for five days continuously. There's been all different types of protocols with ivermectin. Both are, in a sense, equally as efficacious. And in more severe cases, and the Brazilians taught this with the gamma variant, we use them together. So in Delta, in patients who have severe symptoms at home, I've used them together.
1: Well, let me segue to Maria's question. You talk about pregnancy. I haven't heard anyone speak about the best home treatments for pregnant women. And I'm actually hearing a lot of questions about this. Is ivermectin or other home treatments safe for the baby?
2: For pregnant women uh, who present with severe symptoms, in my view, they should be treated. Now, pregnant women with mild symptoms don't. A paper by Pinellas and colleagues published in Annals of Internal Medicine clearly has shown that pregnant women with COVID-19 have uh, less severe outcomes than non-pregnant women the same age. So pregnancy is actually a protective uh, state against COVID-19. So the vast majority of pregnant women have virtually no symptoms. Uh, I know at major medical centers, they were testing 5%, 10%, 15% positive in women delivering babies, and they're perfectly fine. So COVID-19 testing positive should not be a concern without severe symptoms in a pregnant woman. Having said that, we can clearly use hydroxychloroquine. We can use inhale, We can use oral azithromycin. We can use um, inhaled budesonide, um, uh, oral prednisone and oral aspirin, all of those components of sequence multidrug therapy It usually takes about four drugs to treat COVID-19, can safely be used in pregnancy. All
1: right, a lot of questions about exemptions. We get a lot of these kinds in. I want to direct to, towards two right now, one from Mark uh, request in legal counsel regarding the pending November 22nd mandate for executive branch employees. I want to request a religious exemption accommodation based on my deeply held beliefs. And th- this is from Mark here. What would we suggest to them, Dr. McCullough, go to that legal site?
2: No one can be denied a, an exemption based on a deeply held religious belief, period. They cannot be denied. That is uh, guaranteed in law. So I advise that people submit both full medical and religious exemptions. The basis of the medical exemptions is that we now know in very good analyses presented to the FDA on September 17th, a paper by Kostoff and colleagues and another paper by Hogan colleagues showed people who take the vaccine are more likely to die of the vaccine than die of COVID. And those who take the vaccine are more likely to be hospitalized with heart injury, myocarditis, than be hospitalized with COVID-19. So on medical exemption should be for everyone because it does not have a favorable uh, uh, risk to benefit uh, ratio. Uh, So no one should take the vaccine thinking it's gonna be overall good for them because the data suggests it causes more harm than good. On the religious exemption side, a closely held religious belief that a harmful substance is against one's religious belief of their body as a temple is fundamental to all religions. So everyone should have a religious belief. If these uh, exemptions are denied, that's a violation of law. And I refer the listeners to the Liberty Council. They're the lead. And there are many others. And simply a letter, a dispute letter or of a letter of intent to file suit immediately changes the exemption decision. And I've seen this within 10 minutes. I've seen, I'll give a vignette. Uh, there was a pharmacist at Kaiser in Florida, uh, uh, Kaiser in California, I'm sorry, who Uh, submitted an exemption, medical and religious. 10 minutes later, the office emailed back and said, your exemptions are denied. And then he emailed back and said, well, this is is this the office where I file my uh, legal letter for dispute and letter of intent to sue? And then 10 minutes later, we're happy to accept your exemptions. So the point is, Malcolm, this is a game of chicken. And Americans listening to this need to show some backbone and push back. Nobody wants this vaccine. Listen, everybody who wanted the vaccine took it. And I saw patients yesterday who told me they want boosters. It's people's own choice if they want the vaccine or not. But people who've decided not to take the vaccine, it's a willful choice and they are lawfully entitled to it.
1: Let me direct everyone's attention as well, Dr. McCullough, to a post that Dr. Henry Ely has up. And this is important uh, to what uh, Dr. McCullough is talking about right now. If you go on AmericaOutloud.com, go under our team and look up Dr. Henry Ely. There's a post there that says, taken the fight. To the employer or school, COVID questions and exemptions. So this is a great post because it has 15 different questions for you to pose and to delay the process. And then you have exemption links and other things in here. So look up that post from Dr. Henry Ely. Right.
2: That's yeah. a you know that's a very very good place to go. There are many resources. Uh, the Children's Health Defense Fund has it. Health Freedom Funds have it. Uh, the Liberty Council. There are many, many sites to give legal support. Uh, Religious and medical exemptions should be honored. And we're now seeing them be giving out in large numbers from health systems, Malcolm. So the health systems who impose the mandates, ill-advised, there's never been any major hospital outbreaks, ill-advised, they're forcing it on the workers. The workers push back, and now they're broadly giving exemptions.
1: Okay, I've got now a series, a few questions I wanna talk to you about from folks. Again, a lot of people questioning about the rinse process that we've been talking about. Let's see if we can clear up a couple of things. The first one's from Mark. Um, On the next Q&A with Dr. McCullough, uh, I would propose the following question. Prior to both Malcolm and Dr. McCullough getting COVID, were either of you doing the iodine gargle and spit to nasal spray? I I did not, Dr. McCullough, I I did not do any of that. Have you?
2: You know, I did not either, Malcolm, and I tell you, I regret it. Uh, I had COVID-19 in October of 2020. It makes all the sense in the world. We were hyper-focused on hand sanitizers. But listen, it's not an infection of the hand, it's an infection of the nose and the mouth. And if we would have done this, we would have been in great shape. The critical paper by Chowdhury, which is cited on the McCullough Report um, part of the website, That paper by Chowdhury was released in January of 2021, and we've been late giving these recommendations. Remember that it's dilute betadine, just a few drops in a glass of water. I had so many contact me last night saying the betadine is stinging too much. And I said, well, how much are you using? And they were using gobs of it. You know, the iodine is lethal to the virus. And we now know that there's many different creative ways of doing it. I was at the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons site. There was a table where they showed a nebulizer machine, which you can buy on Amazon for $17. And they use a combination of dilute hydrogen peroxide and lugo oils iodine, just a few drops of iodine in the hydrogen peroxide and do a nebulizer a few days a, a, a few times per day to knock out the virus. I think this local treatment in the nose and mouth is a breakthrough and we should have been on it from the beginning.
1: Okay, uh, Joni, on, on what we're talking about here now, Joni says, thank you, Malcolm, Dr. McCullough for fighting to keep us informed and healthy. I eagerly await the new episodes on America Out Loud. Um, you help us keep me sane. You know, a lot of people like, and I sometimes throw those comments and I want you to know, Dr. McCullough, people really appreciate the effort here and and, and what you're doing. The outcry is re- remarkable and amazing. I wanted to ask Dr. McCullough a question about the uh, povidine iodine uh, mouth rinse nasal swab. The only PI, My 10% solution I've been able to purchase says for external use only. Is it safe to use this since it is diluted and expelled or do I need to find a product safe for the mucus membranes? Also, is there a ratio of the PI to water? I know Dr. McCullough said the mixer should be brown, but I want to make sure that I'm not using, uh, that I am using enough to be effective.
2: Yeah, the dilution is down to 1%. There's even been studies at half a percent. But if it got to 1%, so that means, honestly, just a few drops in a small glass of water would do it. If you're uncomfortable, go ahead and go on Amazon and just buy that. The tricky part is not the gargling. The tricky part is the nose spray. You can actually buy a properly diluted uh Pavadone iodine or betadine, betadine nasal spray it comes in a blue bottle. You can buy it on Amazon and you're good to go. Spray it up the nose twice a day, snort it out. And you know what, Malcolm, it kills other viruses and bacteria. And it's good for people with sinus problems or patients who have frequent uh, colds.
1: Okay. Thomas uh, says, just wondering if you are familiar with the use of hypertonic uh, saline as a nasal rinse and gargling solution to fight the coronavirus uh, and, and SARS. Yeah.
2: Yes, that is partially effective, and many of my patients do this. I think the adding a little bit of the povidone iodine to this solution is wonderful to give it an extra kill power. The same thing with a gargle. If you're going to use um, povidone iodine or hydrogen peroxide as a gargle, follow it up with or listerine. It gives an extra punch power and cleans the mouth.
1: All right. And this, we may have answered this one. Now. Terry says, Dr. McCullough has mentioned the use of the diluted, diluted, uh, Povidine iodine for COVID-19 prevention, nasal swab and a mouthwash. I'm looking for more specifics on the diluted solution. People are confused here again. I believe you said a few drops in water to gargle and also to swab nostrils. Is this correct? How much water in the cup would those few, uh, two to three drops go into and are we to use the same diluted solution for the nostrils?
2: It can. I mean, the simple one and the other questioner asked about this for external use, and obviously it's external, meaning you're going to snort it out and spit it out. You're not going to swallow it. So that's what external use means. Is just a few drops in, let's say, six ounces of water or eight ounces of water, gargle it, spit it out, and then you can swab the nose, but more effectively take a dropper and shoot it up in the nose and then snort it out. Uh, alternatively, buy one of the spray bottles, the Povidone iodine spray bottles available on Amazon and use that in the nose to get a good spray up the nose and then snort it out. Many people do this in the shower. And I had anti-effective dentist, Paul Gossett from Chicago on the McCullough Report who gave us great advice on this. And uh, I I think as long as, uh, the only mistake one can make is swallow it, never swallow it. The other mistake is to make it too strong. Uh, Even the tiniest uh, amount of this, a substance, the powdered iodine is lethal to the virus.
1: Mm, wow! All right. Uh, last question on this uh, from Lance. Uh, the the Q and A with Dr. McCullough has been fantastic. He said several times on the dilute uh betadine treatment uh betadine treatment just a few drops in a glass of water but can you clarify it again and and see how many ounces of water additionally the betadine has a new gargle product available which is already diluted but it recommends using no more than seven days in a row would it not be safe then to use daily indefinitely um yeah
2: daily indefinitely is fine if you're doing it twice a day and just follow it up with scoper listerine. Again, don't swallow. So the pre-prepared solutions for gargling are fine. The pre-prepared solutions for nasal sprain are fine. It's just, you know, it's less expensive to just buy one bottle of betadine and then, you know, a few drops in the bottom of a glass, six ounces of water, and you're good to go. And that bottle can stay up on the countertop and you're in good shape. Now, twice a day is preventive. If you come in contact with COVID-19 or start to get the early symptoms in the Chowdhury trial, they actually used it every four hours. They Believe it or not, they even took droppers and put some eye drops in because it's perfectly safe in the eyes too. And they were able to abort, they aborted COVID-19 in over 75% of cases. So it really works if we do high intensity in the incipient phases of COVID-19.
1: Yeah, you know, the one thing we've all learned from this whole exercise, uh, Dr. McCullough, within this COVID uh, over the last, uh, well, coming on a couple of years now, is uh, preventive measures, staying healthy, uh, all of, uh, I mean, that's been, if there's anything positive to come out of this whole COVID excursion, it's got to be exactly that. Uh, So I I think uh, I just want to take a moment to remind folks, uh, one of our big uh, sponsors here is Healthy Cell. Uh, And and just to put it into context here, I learned about Healthy Cell about three and a half years ago, and it really was about your immune system, staying healthy, being on top of it. What I was most impressed on this is the company was at the leading edge of doing some very cool things. So they don't just do the pills, the old vitamins that you would take that we've been taking forever, but it's gel form. So it's all in a gel and they have a regular daily regimen. They have immune super boost, which has got the zinc and the echinacea and the A, the D, and all of of the different components there. Uh, and uh, they've got REM sleep and focus and just a terrific uh, array of products here. Uh, again, it's been part of my daily regimen now for quite some time. I want to recommend you all take a look at it. Uh, you can uh, go to uh, healthycell.com forward slash out loud. Uh, all of our listeners get 20% off your first order that we, we negotiated that with uh, Healthy Cell. And uh, you can get that or click the banner ad back at AmericaOutloud.com, and you're also entitled to that. Again, one thing I've learned through the years is you take care of your body, you take care of your mind, you take care of yourself. And my friends, the chances, and, and I really believe this, of you uh, surpassing any virus, uh, influenza, cold or COVID or the next thing coming down the line is far greater. Your, your chances of uh, uh, succeeding is going to be there. And that's just a lesson in life. I'll tell you, between that and getting out and walking and seeing those green trees and the blue sky. When's the last time you've done that, Dr. McCullough, walked out and seen the trees in the skies? Tell me.
2: You know, I get out there and I'm a jogger, Malcolm. I'm a yeah. jogger. The listeners may not know that in my uh, last uh, in my 40s, I'm past that time point now. But in my 40s, I ran a marathon in every state in the United States. And I have to tell you, getting outside and running, exercising, biking, getting some fresh air and getting fit, you know, it is survival of the fittest. You know this, Malcolm, you got COVID-19. So did I. How do you survive it without getting in the mechanical ventilator? You have to be fit beforehand.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's nothing better than, uh, you know, if you can't run, you walk. I mean, I, I walk about five miles a day. Uh, That is always my goal. Uh, And the fact my wife, as many of you know, had COVID, I've got her out starting to walk. In fact, I got to tell real quick, Dr. McCullough had her out walking on the weekend. uh, And you know what she went through, she almost died with this. And she walked 1.8 miles. How do you like that?
2: Oh, fantastic. And, you know, exercise plays a key role in recovery. I credit Dr. Yvette Lozano in Dallas, who's been on the McCullough Report. She innovated. Believe it or not, as long as there's no fever, people with COVID-19 should exercise. They should get blood flow through the lungs. Exercise is good in the recovery of COVID-19.
1: Yeah, and you feel better once you've done it all. So listen, it's just good advice, good sound advice for everybody here. I want to take a quick pause, my friends, and we'll be back with more Voice of the Nation just after this.
0: Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com.
2: You know, Healthy Cell is a terrific lineup of products. They have products that are pill-free, gel-packed vitamins, uh, looking for better sleep, focus and energy. Check out Healthy Cell, the leading innovator in nutritional supplements for cell health. Healthy Cell has a product that helps REM sleep, helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep supplement. The only sleep supplement that's designed to support all stages of sleep, and boy, is it needed now during all the stress of the COVID-19 pandemic. So go to HealthyCell.com and use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any product from Healthy Cell. I use them every day, I believe in them, and you should too. Let's get real, let's get loud, on America Out Loud, Talk Radio. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine
1: how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed our cells. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell, Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L.
0: And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. Liberty at AmericaOutLoud.com.
1: Welcome back to the voice of a nation. It is Malcolm out here, yours truly, and always good to be with you. Thank you for being with us, my friends, Uh, uh, my show here. The Daily Show Voice of a Nation plays every day, by the way, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and there's an encore at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can hear us anywhere in the world on iHeartRadio or our apps on Apple, Android, Alexa. Uh, or our media player, many, many ways to hear the network. Uh, We're on the front lines, Uh, the front lines, uh, not just in COVID, but in life, Uh, because life to me is a a 360 event. It's all about how we take care of ourselves. You know, the old saying, what you put into it is what you get out of it. It's the same thing about life, my friends. What you put into it is what you get out of it. Uh, We're joined here with Dr. Peter McCullough, and uh, we're getting through many, many questions. I want to get now, as you notice, I put a lot of these other questions up front, but now we want to get into some of the heavy vaccine questions and there are so many here. Let's see what we can do here. Um, this one here uh, from Sarah. Uh, thank you, Malcolm, for having the Q&A sessions with Dr. Peter McCullough. My family and I are very appreciative of the knowledge uh, that is being shared during these difficult times. My question for Dr. McCullough is this. As an unvaccinated person that is afraid of taking the shot for its potential negative side effects, is there any concern for unvaccinated people receiving blood donations from vaccinated individuals? That is, is there any possibility of having an adverse reaction to a vaccinated person's blood in the event of receiving emergency blood donation?
2: contamination of the blood supply has been raised to the American Association of Blood Banking and to the American Red Cross by concerned doctors that there is no restriction of the vaccinated donating blood. So it's conceivable in the first two to four weeks after vaccination, that spike protein can be in the blood as well as circulating lipid nanoparticles of messenger RNA. Uh, Both those organizations have really taken no action whatsoever. They've acknowledged the uh, letters from hematologists and by pathologists, but they have done nothing about it. The only thing I can tell you is that some studies show that circulating antibodies now are so prevalent in donated blood, some studies show over 80%, that chances are the antibodies in a sense kind of neutralize the spike protein and we end up with a net zero risk in getting blood transfusion. There's nothing we can do about it. And if someone has critical bleeding, they need transfusion.
1: Okay, Rebecca says, I greatly appreciate Dr. McCullough's integrity and his willingness to share this much needed data-driven information with us. On a recent podcast, I heard Dr. McCullough mention a paper by Bruce Patterson, that indicated spike protein from COVID-19 is recoverable in the body up to a year later. I'm curious if this would also be the case with the spike protein of the vaccines. My aunt received the vaccine several months ago and recently had a blood clot in the leg and several more in the lungs. Could the blood clots be related to the vaccine months later? Is there a concern for clot after the critical period immediately subsequent to
2: vaccination? That is a terrific question and we know that the antibodies to the spike protein after the vaccine are way higher than the antibodies to the spike protein with a natural infection. So one could infer that the spike protein exposure after vaccination, which we know circulates at least for two weeks after the first shot, is actually far greater than the respiratory infection. So by that type of inference, one could conclude that the spike protein may indeed be in the bodies of the vaccinated for a prolonged period of time. And so if that's the case, then yes, all the manifestations, including late expression of blood clots, cardiac manifestations, neurologic manifestations, would be of concern. So I would encourage the listener to for sure report these blood clotting events to the CDC vaccine adverse event reporting system. And let's kind of follow along with the data I think is concerning about the late expression of these events and the recent discovery by Dr. Patterson that the spike protein is in a sense being scavenged out of our tissues uh, up to 15 months later after the respiratory infection.
1: Okay, Poppy says, first, God bless you. Thank you for your service to humanity. My husband wants my two sons, ages 12 and 14, to get vaccinated because he's afraid that if they get sick with COVID, they might suffer from long COVID after recovering from the acute COVID infection. What is your professional opinion? I do not want them to get vaccinated, but I don't know what concrete information or data I can point my husband to to show him the risk associated with the vaccine are far greater than the risk of long COVID. My husband is a scientist and and he would like to see any data available.
2: (laughs) Two important analyses to address the latter part of the question, one by Kostoff and the other one by Hogue, show that in children, they're more likely to die of the COVID-19 vaccine than to take their chances with getting COVID uh, because COVID is very mild in children. And the same thing in children. They're more likely to be hospitalized with heart injury, myocarditis, than they are to be hospitalized with the COVID-19 vaccine respiratory illness. Children have a very mild course of COVID-19. There's no significant uh, signal that they will develop long hauler syndrome. And what's driving most of childhood vaccination is not the children. It's fear that the adults have. The adults fear is if the children potentially could convey the virus to them. And there's no Um, established epidemiologic uh, data suggesting that the children are a major source of the virus to the parents. In fact, it's vice versa. Normally, one of the parents gets COVID-19, and then the whole house gets it, and that's the pattern of transmission. There's no significant uh, school outbreaks. So children go to school. There's no credible cases where the children uh, contaminate the uh, teacher's and they developed COVID-19. And finally, two important analyses have weighed in, one from the uh, depart- Wisconsin Department of Public Health and the other one from University California, Davis, showing among the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, they carry the same amount of the Delta virus. The vaccine doesn't uh, doesn't cut down carriage at all of the virus. And in fact, they're equally as infectious. So there's no reason to vaccinate at this point in time to protect others because it doesn't work.
1: All right. Melody uh, says, help. My son is in the Marine Corps Reserve and has to be fully vaccinated uh, by end of the year. He does not want the vax, but will face dishonorable discharge if he refuses. If he started taking ivermectin during the month of vaccination, would this help reduce vax injury due to ivermectin's ability to stop replication of the spike protein? Please give me some guidance on this as soon as possible. I'm praying you answer my question.
2: There are no established protocols to, in a sense, provide an antidote against the dangers of the vaccine. Although one can find these online, uh, I would point the listener to the um, the whistleblower uh, affidavit and request for halt of vaccination submitted by Lieutenant uh, Colonel Teresa Long. Uh, Teresa Long is a courageous uh, military a lifelong military uh, officer, and she has formally uh, submitted this to the military. Uh, We have a congressional leader, Mark Green, who's uh, put a a formal letter to the military to halt vaccination. And those in the military who don't want the vaccine should submit full religious and medical exemptions and fight for their rights.
1: Okay. Gabby says, you did a podcast back in May about the vaccine and pregnant women. Uh, Do you have an updated opinion on pregnant women of the vaccine now since Time has gone on and more studies or data have been completed. Have your thoughts changed or the risk change? Or do you fully recommend the best outcome is to not receive the vaccine during pregnancy? I'm in my first trimester in Australia, and my doctor is very much advising me and pushing me to get the vaccine, but my heart and head say no. Well, Dr. McCullough, this this question from Gabby, and I see just in the past days and weeks, the CDC is really pushing and putting a lot of pressure on women uh, to get uh, pregnant women to get that vaccine. What do you say?
2: To set the stage, the FDA, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, and then externally AstraZeneca with other regulatory bodies strictly exclude pregnant women and women of childbearing potential who cannot guarantee contraception from participating in randomized trials of the vaccines. So these regulatory agencies know the vaccines aren't safe and may, may not be effective in women with pregnancy. So these exclusions were signed off on by all the human ethics committees. So now that the Vaccines are in the public domain. Under no circumstances should a pregnant woman receive the vaccine. So what's happened since that time? Well, there has been uh, an observational study of women who did take the vaccine showing they get an antibody rise. Okay, that's fine. There's been an observational study in the New England Journal of Medicine that's been very controversial, uh, demonstrating in the first trimester that the risks of abortion could be as low as 12%, but as high as 83%. And with many letters to the editor, including a separate publication that I published in Trial Site News, the the answer was we simply don't know about safety in the first trimester and we should consider the vaccine's pregnancy category X. Pregnancy category X means that we know the vaccines have a dangerous mechanism of action and that we never give dangerous substances to pregnant women. The American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, despite all those uh, warnings, advises vaccines in pregnant women. Um, I think that will be go down as history in history as a giant mistake, a giant overreach. Our colleges should never recommend treatments that are unproven and potentially dangerous in pregnant women. Pinellas and colleagues and of internal medicine show pregnant women have a Less severe forms of COVID, less severe outcomes than women of the same age who are not pregnant. And on top of that, pregnancy, even if there is severe symptoms, which is very rare, can be treated with oral therapy that I've already covered in this session.
1: Okay, Chuck says I've had peri- pericarditis. Uh, take medication to prevent. Should there be any concern about getting vaccinated? Is there a medical exemption for previous conditions?
2: Yes. Previous myocarditis or pericarditis, under no circumstances should receive the vaccines. The messenger RNA, messenger RNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, have strict warnings from the FDA on myocarditis. We have over 5,000 cases now of myocarditis in the United States. We know from the paper by uh, Tracy Hogan colleagues from UC Davis, that uh, nearly 90% of myocarditis patients that are reported are severe. They require hospitalization. We're talking, this is major cardiac injury, heart failure and consequences. So under no circumstances, if someone has previously had myocarditis or pericarditis, should they receive the vaccine It's too dangerous.
1: Okay. Uh, This one's from Kurt. Thanks so much for all you are doing to provide honest and open conversation around COVID. I have a quick and hopefully simple question for you. I hesitantly received the Pfizer vaccine uh, in March of 2021. Subsequently, I decided not to expose myself to the second shot. So to date, I've I've only received the first Pfizer dose. My question is twofold. First, uh, since I am now six months out from receiving the first dose, could I start over and receive both Pfizer shots again. I've had no ver- adverse effects from taking the first dose back in March. Since I had no adverse reaction to the first dose, would you recommend I go back and get the full Pfizer vaccination shots one and two? Wow.
2: We know from shots one and two, there's about an 80 fold step up in the severe reactions in the arm, the lymph nodes, the breasts of women, etc. cetera. However, it's my experience that if someone has had no side effects with the first shot, they tend to do pretty well with the second shot. We know that the major pharmacy chains have actually been giving boosters before they were emergency use authorized. I had one of my patients actually get a booster and they they did not fall in the categories that were approved for boosters. So the pharmacies have been lenient in actually giving extra doses of the vaccine, which violates the emergency use authorization uh, code. So at this point in time, uh, if one is concerned, and uh, understands the risks and benefits of the vaccine. They certainly can go forward and get a booster and try to get back and trained on the program. But we have no evidence at this point in time that the boosters are doing anything, uh, particularly the Pfizer vaccine, which looks like it's completely failed in Israel. The Delta variant is showing no um, response at all to the Pfizer vaccine. The Israeli um, uh, health ministry has the effectiveness below 50% at 39%. Piranek and colleagues at the Mayo Clinic have uh, Pfizer at 42% vaccine efficacy. And on September 17th of 2021, the FDA advisory committee voted 16 to two against the Pfizer booster because it wasn't effective and wasn't sufficiently safe.
1: Yeah, here's one I haven't heard of before. And I don't know if you have from Jen. Uh, And it is, um, can my employer charge me more money for healthcare if I do not have the vaccine? Wow.
2: Employers can do whatever they want to. They, for years, they've been charging more insurance for someone who is a smoker, for instance. And um, uh, these are these employment inequities. Uh, the vaccines uh, will cause have caused over a quarter million expensive hospitalizations, emergency room visits, office visits. The vaccines, the CDC is telling us, has permanently disabled more than twenty thousand Americans. You know how expensive that is. So one, if one looked at the costs of vaccination, chances are the vaccinated are costing employers more money than the unvaccinated.
1: All right. Dwayne says uh, SARS-1 was about 19 years ago. Do those that recovered from SARS-1 still have long term immunity? Also, is there any studies out to show an immune response from recovered SARS-1 patients to SARS-2?
2: There's 80 to 90% homology or similarity between SARS-1 and SARS-2. And what we know from SARS-1 17 years later is that the immunity was robust, complete, and durable. People didn't get SARS over and over again. In fact, natural immunity extinguished the outbreak of SARS-1. We don't know if SARS-1 in a human being is protective against SARS-CoV-2. However, we do know in the test tube it is. So it's interesting that the immunity to SARS-1 is sufficiently strong to protect against SARS-2 in the test tube. And you know why? It's because the similarity is the ball. The nucleocapsid is nearly identical between SARS-1 and SARS-2. What's different is the spike protein. The spike protein was modified in the Wuhan lab using gain-of-function research that our National Institutes of Health helped with respect to money and intellectual property. We helped the Chinese make the spike protein into a dangerous uh, component of the virus.
1: Okay. Mary says, I urgently need help to find a pulmonary doctor for my husband. He's a frontline respiratory therapist uh, who manages a pediatric ventilator program. He's about 20 days into the virus and his breathing seems to be worsening. He has a history of asthma, mild emphysema, uh, fibrosis. Uh, We are trying to keep him out of the hospital. Is it possible for you to refer us to a pulmonary physician in your area? Um, uh, We would greatly appreciate any information you can provide. God bless you.
2: The best way to get referrals is go to the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, Online.org, and download the physician directory of the treating doctors. Find one in your state and make a few calls and see if you can't get a referral and to get some high-quality care, because I agree that background history of pulmonary disease and then worsening COVID-19 is pointing towards hospitalization, mechanical ventilation, or worse. And so you need to get a move on right now.
1: Uh, Teresa says which vaccines do not have aborted fetus in them are there uh, are there any that do not and also how would a person find that info that's not complicated to understand
2: <laughs> it's my understanding <clears throat> it's my understanding that the vaccine vials themselves don't contain any material from aborted fetal tissue or other immortal cell lines but it's the derivation of how they were developed did use those technologies but that's common to other Uh, biologic agents that we use. So it's in a sense, conceptually, uh, some don't like the idea that aborted uh, fetal cells were used at any stage in development, but the mature product that's being injected in individuals, it's my understanding that it's simply as stated, that it's lipid nanoparticles with messenger RNA or it's adenoviral particles in in the case of Johnson & Johnson. All right,
1: Susan says, my daughter is 16 and had her second Pfizer shot. Uh, In August, 10 days ago, she came down with strep. Um, By the end of the week, she had new symptoms. Um, And then uh, this week, a doctor said she tested uh, partially positive for flu. How do you test partially positive? I don't understand that. Um, Told her to go back to school today. She has weird symptoms that have nothing to do with the flu. She has a constant dull pressure in the center of her chest. She has constant aching in her legs which does feel better than when she lies flat it's in both legs, uh, she sometimes has similar pain in her arms. Could this actually be from her vaccine? What should I do next?
2: I think she needs a comprehensive evaluation. I'm worried about myocarditis with the chest pain. So that involves uh, history and physical exam, EKG, cardiac troponin, and cardiac echo. The, um, the immune system is changed with the vaccine. There's lymphocyte depression, There's been reactivation of other viral illnesses, including Epstein-Barr virus and uh, varicella zoster virus. I think it's probably unrelated to strep, but this sounds serious. And I think the patient needs a comprehensive evaluation.
1: Okay, last couple here. Antonio says a friend of mine is 28 weeks pregnant as being coerced into taking the COVID-19 vaccine against her will. We're unfortunately unable to find any doctors in Florida who will sign her medical exemption. A lot of people are struggling with this, getting doctors to sign these exemptions. Um, I was hoping there was some way you could help us. Uh, Thank you for your time and God bless you for your work.
2: Again, I'd refer this listener to the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, uh, aapsonline.org, and find the physician directory, download it, and make a few calls to doctors in their area. Patients do deserve medical exemptions. I think broadly um, because our CDC and FDA have not told us who is safe to receive the vaccine. They have not told us this. In a sense, every American, given the lack of transparency on safety, uh, should have a justification for a medical exemption because we haven't been told otherwise.
1: Right, Harmony says, I lo- uh, well, see, you, you, you might have some marriage proposals here. I love Dr. Peter McCullough and all that he is doing. <laughs> I have been following him for some time and feel he is God sent. I got a message from a study for natural immunity, and I thought it looked interesting, but I'm skeptical as well because it's hard to trust anything out there these days. Have you heard of this study, and is it safe? The study is conducted by Fred Hutch, <clears throat> immune protection study.
2: Now, I am unfamiliar with it, but I'd point the listener to Jennifer Block, who's a medical reporter, but she's published one of the best summaries of the data on natural immunity. and It was published in the British Medical Journal, which is a highly ranked journal, Malcolm. So Jennifer Block in the British Medical Journal on Natural Immunity.
1: Okay. And I, and I got to share this last one with you, and, I, and I'd love to have you comment on it. Uh, Tara says, um, Dr. McCullough, please write a book all of your research regarding this pandemic has been invaluable. Please compile into a book for future generations to learn all the mistakes. Have you thought about that?
2: I have. And, you know, there are many books in production at this point in time. I would point the listener to uh, Peter Bregan on the origins of the pandemic, its planned nature, and the interwoven relationship between all of these stakeholders. Peter Bregan, the title of the book is COVID-19 and the Global Predators. We Are the Prey. Myself, uh, I wrote one of the introductions. So did Dr. Lee, Fleet, uh, Dr. Lee for America. And then the legendary Dr. Zev Zelenko wrote the third introduction. This book is absolutely flying off the shelves right now. Uh, it is comprehensive. It has over a thousand citations. It is as authoritative as you're going to get. It's factual in terms of what's happening with the COVID-19 pandemic and its response, including the development of this worldwide mass vaccination program. And in a sense, the designed mass psychosis that's uh, fallen over the world for the vaccines. In terms of the medical response, many are working on this. I know uh, authors with a lot of books in development. Uh, I know of uh, some in Spanish, as well as some in other languages that are being developed. I'll consider it, Malcolm, but I need probably about a two-year sabbatical to pull it off.
1: Yeah, it's a big job. Any, anytime you're writing a book and the kind of book you'd be writing, it, it, is, a, it is a massive job. Um, Dr. McCullough, in our final thought here, any last words of uh, with all the, you know, what what's the biggest questions that people are asking you? and any last words of encouragement for folks?
2: The biggest questions that I'm getting right now is on spread of the virus. And I want to make it fundamentally fundamentally clear. The vaccinated and unvaccinated equally get the virus and they equally spread it, but they only spread it when they have symptoms, Malcolm, only when they're symptomatic. If there's no fever, there's no nasal congestion, no runny nose, it's impossible to spread the infection. So people have asked, can I go to a wedding? Can I travel? Can I see my family? Of course you can. If everybody's well, whether vaccinated or unvaccinated, you can see each other. Just have very good awareness of sickness. You know, when you feel when a cold is coming on and you don't feel exactly right, everybody needs to be perceptive. And if you feel a cold coming on, full stop, don't go to work, don't travel, don't see your family members. And try to do some self-assessment in the next few hours or a day or so and figure out if COVID-19 is occurring. The only people who can't get COVID-19 are COVID recovered. COVID recovered, you're good. You don't have to worry about anything. If you do get cold symptoms, it's not COVID again. It's the common cold. But everybody else who's susceptible, people who have not had COVID and those who have had the vaccine, you can get COVID and you have to have that awareness.
1: Uh, excellent. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. There, we so appreciate uh, you uh, uh, taking the time to answer all these uh, the questions. A lot of this, to me, comes back to our mindset, having positive energy in your life and a positive mindset. And think about that in those terms. And it's something I've learned myself in my own life, having just gone through COVID and my wife, and many of you know the story, we almost lost my wife. But a lot of this comes back to our mindset, our positive attitudes, back to what I said earlier about your immune system, uh, lifestyle, exercise, all the things Dr. McCullough talked about. All of these factor into your success Uh, You know, the the metrics in your life and the the, the success um, that you're going to have ahead with anything. Um, So, that's the best advice I can sort of end with here. Uh, We don't know what else is coming down the pike here. We can only hope to God that we've seen the worst of it uh, with uh, this uh, original SARS uh, coronavirus and uh, COVID 2 and also with the uh, Delta variant here. Uh, my friends. We will continue on to continue on. Uh, Appreciate all your questions and your outreach here. Um, And thank you again, my friends, for being with me on the mission here. Uh, We'll see you back at americaroutloud.com. Remember, friends, get involved, get loud.